the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blind producing, Dave King engineering in Portland, Pedro Bartes producing and engineering in Seattle. Today we're looking forward to sharing with you a Billy Graham New Year's special. That's coming up later this, let's see, it'll straddle both hours. I think it's I think that's how we were doing it. Anyway, that's coming up uh, later this hour. And we'll also share with you some of the uh, the headlines from the last several days. Well, at least five people were shot. One child has died after a school shooting this morning in a small Iowa town. Police responded to reports of gunfire at Perry High School at about 737 a.m. local time because classes had begun on what was the first day of school after the winter break. When officers arrived at the scene less than seven minutes later, they found multiple gunshot victims. The suspected shooter was identified as a 17-year-old who was a student at the school. According to the assistant director of the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation, in an afternoon press conference, um, he was found with a self-inflicted gunshot wound and did not survive the encounter. Four of the surviving victims were taken to hospitals with one in critical but not life-threatening condition and four in stable condition. Four of the surviving victims are students and one is a school administrator, according to authorities. But the saddest news of all, a sixth grader shot dead in that incident earlier today. New York City Mayor Eric Adams said on, uh, well, today, the city will pursue legal action against 17 bus and transportation companies that have carried illegal immigrants into the city of New York. Well, the buses have been sent to the sanctuary city, note sanctuary city, by Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who has sent migrants to blue cities across the country in an effort to share the burden of the border crisis with states up north. The Lone Star State sent more than 33,600 illegal immigrants to the city between August of 22 and December of 23, the governor said last month. Now, Abbott is also trying to gain the attention of the president, hoping that he will gain the uh, ear of uh, those who are in his own party and are suffering under the weight of the numbers. Well, the lawsuit alleges the companies have violated Section 149 of the New York Social Services Law, which requires any person who knowingly brings or causes to be brought a needy person from out of state into this state for the purpose of making him a public charge shall be obligated to convey such person out of state or support him at his own expense, end quote. Well, Adams said the lawsuit is looking to recoup approximately $700 million already spent to care for migrants sent here in the last two years by Texas. Well, New York City has and will always do our part to manage this humanitarian crisis, but we cannot bear the costs of reckless political ploys from the state of Texas alone. And that, of course, is precisely what the governor of Texas is saying. We cannot manage this humanitarian crisis on the southern border, which far outweighs the numbers that we are shipping out to other sanctuary cities. Um, the uh, reckless political ploys uh, from the federal government uh, cannot be borne by Texas alone. That's essentially what's um, what this is all about. 
But again, the New York mayor went on to say, today we are taking legal action against 17 companies that have taken part in Texas Governor Abbott's scheme to transport tens of thousands of migrants to New York City in an attempt to overwhelm our social services system. Again, Texas thinking, we're going to give you a taste of what we're going through, only at a much smaller scale. Well, the lawsuits claims that the transportation companies have earned millions of dollars in revenue from Texas for implementing the Texas governor's plan. Those companies include Buckeye Coach, Cardian Tours, Classic Elegance Coaches, Coastal Crew, and many others. Uh, don't want to go through the the whole laundry list. New York City, uh, New York Governor, rather, Kathy Hochul, she voiced support for the lawsuit in a statement on Thursday. The lawsuit comes after Adams issued an executive order late last month requiring bus operators to give at least 32 hours notice ahead of the arrival of migrant buses. The order also restricted drop-offs to certain times of day. However, in order to circumvent the new order, buses reportedly began dropping off migrants in New Jersey and instructing them to take public transportation into New York City. And still, the Biden administration sits quietly by. A top prosecutor on special counsel Jack Smith's team discouraged the FBI from pursuing an investigation into the Clinton Foundation back in 2016 due to what he viewed as negligible evidence despite multiple suspicious activity reports, or SARS as they're called, related to hundreds of thousands of dollars in foreign transactions. That was learned recently by the Fox News Digital. Ray Hulser, the former chief of the Department of Justice's Public Integrity Section, who serves on Smith's team, currently prosecuting uh, former President Trump, was identified as the official who declined prosecution of the Clinton Foundation in 2016 in special counsel John Durham's report. Well, according to the Durham report, in January of 2016, three different FBI field offices, the New York field office, the Washington field office, and the Little Rock field office, opened investigations into possible criminal activity involving the Clinton Foundation. The report reveals that the case was opened referring to an intelligence production, or rather product, and corroborating financial reporting that a particular commercial industry likely engaged in federal public official in a flow of benefits scheme, namely large monetary contributions were made to a nonprofit under both direct and indirect control of the federal public official in exchange for favorable government action and or influence, end quote. The investigation out of Washington was opened as a preliminary investigation because the case agent wanted to determine if he could develop additional information to corroborate allegations in a recently published book, Clinton Cash, by Peter Schweitzer, before seeking to convert the matter to a full investigation, the report states. But the New York and Little Rock investigations included predict. Um, Prediction based on source reporting that identified foreign governments that had made or offered to make contributions to the foundation in exchange for favorable or preferential treatment from Clinton. Well, the Durham report revealed that because three different FBI field offices opened investigations related to the Clinton Foundation, there was a perceived need to conduct coordination meetings between the field offices, the FBI headquarters and appropriate U.S. attorney's offices, as well as components from the main Justice Department. Well, these meetings likely were deemed especially important, given that the investigations were occurring in an election year in which Clinton was a declared candidate for president, the report states, including details from those meetings. One meeting detailed in the report took place in February of 16. Present for that meeting were several FBI officials, as well as criminal division assistant attorney general Leslie Caldwell and Hulzer, 
who at the time was Public Integrity Section Chief. Durham interviewed Halzer as part of the investigation. Halzer told Durham that the FBI briefing on the Clinton Foundation was poorly presented and that there was insufficient um, prediction for at least one of the investigations due to its reliance on allegations contained in a book. Halzer downplayed information provided by the New York field office uh, and recall that the amount involved in the financial reporting was de minimis, the report states. However, Durham's team reviewed the financial reports to better understand the allegations. Well, a source familiar with the matter said that there were multiple SARS filed, these um, uh, reports uh, filed related to the Clinton Foundation during that time in 2012. Hillary Clinton served as Secretary of State. Banks have a duty to file these reports, but it is up to the Justice Department to determine if there is any criminality, and they simply chose to opt out. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, again coming up later this hour, Billy Graham's New Year special. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. I'm Georgine Rice. The Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, or ISIS, is claiming responsibility for the suicide bomb attacks in Iran this week. Uh, it has been learned. ISIS claims to have orchestrated the double suicide bomber attack at the memorial to deceased Iranian military official Qassam Soleimani. A statement from ISIS published in Telegram, to Telegram named terrorist operatives Omar al-Mawahid, Sayafullah al-Muhajid, as the suicidal attackers behind the dual martyrdom operation. The explosion killed at least 103 people, wounded up to 141 more in uh, Kerman, Iran, according to Wednesday reports from Iranian media. Soleimani was killed in 2020 at the hands of a U.S. drone strike ordered by then-President Trump. Some Iranian leaders initially blamed Israel for the attacks, though the accusations were rebuffed by Western powers. The incident comes amid severe tensions, of course, between Iran, the U.S., and Israel. Iran's proxy terrorist groups have attacked U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria more than 100 times since October, and Iran-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen have harassed trade in the Red Sea. Hezbollah, another Iran-supported group, has threatened Israel's northern border with drone attacks as well. Well, nearly 200 names that had previously been redacted from court documents in a lawsuit against Jeffrey Epstein's former uh, lover and accomplice have been made public in order to, uh, on orders rather of a federal judge in New York, U.S. District Judge Loretta Presky. She ordered that re- the release in December, but gave the Jane and John Doe's two weeks in cases uh, a case they wanted to appeal. The names were unveiled in a series of forty documents that have been posted to a docket without previous redactions that hid big names, including former President uh, Clinton, Donald Trump, the Clintons' estranged longtime aide Doug Band, Prince. Uh, Andrew and the late former New Mexico governor, Bill Richardson, and the French modeling agent, whose name you probably wouldn't know, who, like Epstein, died while awaiting trial. Epstein had many high profile connections, including former U.S. presidents, former prime ministers and Britain's Prince Andrew, as well as Hollywood stars, leading academic people, people in the modeling and fashion industries and other public figures. Some of the names were previously known through other means, despite having been withheld from the public's eye in the lawsuit. Uh, Some of those associations were professional in that he was a, by all accounts, brilliant, in quotes, money manager. So it's not clear what those associations actually mean and those names having been uh, released. But uh, that trove of documents were made public earlier today. The U.S. has not yet confirmed the death of Hamas leader Salah Arori, 
who remained high on the Rewards for Justice Program's wanted list with a $5 million bounty for several years. State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller said during a Wednesday press briefing that the U.S. had no heads up about the strike on Beirut that killed Orori and that the U.S. had no information about Israel's involvement in the strike, nor to suggest uh, they were responsible for it. Miller called Orori a brutal terrorist with civilian blood on his hands and dodged a question about whether Israel was had a right to kill him amid the ongoing war between the Jewish state and the terror organization. The House of Representatives is again teetering on the edge of a government funding showdown as House Republican leaders are preparing for their majority to be whittled down to just two. Representative Bill Johnson, Republican out of Ohio, confirmed on Tuesday that he will resign from Congress effective January 21st to be the Youngstown State University's next president. That's right in the middle of Congress's two government funding deadlines. Under a continuing resolution passed late last year, the House and Senate must reach an agreement to fund certain agencies by the 19th of this month and others by February 2nd. But the narrow two-seat margin Johnson will leave behind won't last long. Representative Brian Higgins said in November that he would leave Congress in February. He's a Democrat from New York. If he stays past the two weeks of the month, or rather two days of the month, House Republicans will have little wiggle room in bipartisan negotiations on avoiding a government shutdown if a plan is not put in place by February 2nd. Former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's departure, effective December 31st, reduced the GOP to a three-seat majority just days before Johnson's plans were announced. For the fourth year in a row, Liberal California topped U-Haul's growth index list for having the largest net outbound movers in 2023. U-Haul publishes its growth index report every year, analyzing the difference between the number of one-way U-Haul trucks coming into the state or city and those leaving. If a mover relocates from California to Texas, for example, that would be calculated as a Texas gain. And while one-way transactions in 2023 remain below the record-breaking levels we witnessed immediately following the pandemic, they continue to see many of the same geographical trends from U-Haul customers moving between states. That's what John J.T. Taylor, U-Haul International President, said in a statement Tuesday. For the past three years, Texas secured the highest count of movers using one-way U-Haul moving equipment, maintaining its position at the summit of the moving company's growth index. Well, Russia unloaded a barrage of missiles on Ukraine. They launched another mass drone and missile attack against the country, the latest in a growing campaign to break Ukrainian morale and wear down its air defense system. The barrage of 99 missiles early Tuesday morning was the second significant salvo in less than a week after one of the largest missile attacks of the war on Friday. The heavy bombardments are putting pressure on Ukraine's stocks of air defense missiles, which it receives primarily from the West. Ukraine's Air Force said 72 of the 99 missiles were shot down, mostly over Kyiv, as were all 35 Iranian-designed Shahid uh, Shahed uh, drones. At least four people were killed and more than 90 injured. A school district in California is pushing gender theory books and films on students of all grades. The California district that serves thousands of students from preschool through high school created elaborate lesson plans and resource lists aimed at pushing gender theory and normalizing child transgenderism, according to uh, documents received by the Daily Wire. 
Hayward Unified School District, which is located in California's Bay Area and serves over 19,000 students from preschool to high school, is directing students to watch films that promote transgenderism and highlight how treatments such as puberty blockers work. The pro-trans lesson plans come amid a broader national uproar over schools pushing gender ideology on children, with some even encouraging so-called social transitions among students without parents' approval or knowledge, for that matter. Reverend Don Wildman, founder of the American Family Association, passed away late last week. Don Wildman, um, for decades, built the American Family Association, which began in 1977 and is now being led by his son, Tim. Don was one of the organizers of the Arlington Group, which met for, for years to develop strategies that conservative groups could agree on. He was always the voice of reason and strength, according to Gary Bauer. Because of Don's leadership and unapologetic defense of our values, he and AFA were often targets of disgusting smear campaigns, Bauer points out, by the radical left. The Southern Poverty Law Center labeled AFA a hate group. Nothing could be further from the truth. Um, Bauer goes on to say, I learned a long time ago that when the SPLC, the Southern Poverty Law Center, labels you a hate group, you are a group that um, they hate. So AFA wears their scorn as a badge of honor, as they should. Don's leadership will be deeply missed, but I have no doubt that he was welcomed home to the words we all long to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Nikki Haley says derogatory suggestions in recent weeks by two of her top rivals for the Republican presidential nomination that she's hoping to serve as former President Trump's 2024 running mate are a clear signal they are losing. But Haley, the former South Carolina governor who later served as ambassador to the United Nations in the Trump administration, once again passed on an opportunity to categorically deny she would join Trump on the Republican ticket should the former president win the party's nomination. In an interview on Tuesday ahead of a town hall in New Hampshire, she reiterated she is running to win. Over a dozen of President Biden's campaign staffers hired to reelect the president issued an anonymous letter on Wednesday protesting the president's approach to the ongoing Israel-Hamas war. In a letter shared uh, on Medium, 17 current Biden for president staffers called for Biden to advocate for an immediate ceasefire in the war started by the Palestinian terrorist organization Hamas. Surprise attack on innocent Israelis. As your staff, we believe it is both a moral and electoral imperative for you to publicly call for a cessation of violence, the staffers wrote in the letter. In addition to calling for an immediate ceasefire, the 17 individuals urged the administration to end unconditional military aid to Israel and advocated for a de-escalation in the region, including the release of hostages. The staffers argued that it is not merely enough to be an alternative to Donald Trump, But Biden needs to support a ceasefire. Earlier in December, dozens of staffers protested their boss's Israel policy. Ceasefire was spelled out in lit candles in front of the protesters with a sign behind them reading, President Biden, your staff demands a ceasefire. Well, author and activist Kenny Zhu is hoping to take his fight for a colorblind society to U.S. Congress. Jew is the founder of Color Us United, a North Carolina-based organization that advocates for a race-blind society and equal treatment of individuals. He's also written two popular books, An Inconvenient Minority and The School of Woke, both of which put a spotlight on affirmative action and critical race theory at American schools and universities. Along the way, he helped lead the affirmative action cases the Supreme Court ruled on in June. Now the Republican is running for U.S. Congress in North Carolina's 13th District, 
A seat currently held by Democrat Representative Wiley Nickel and his first test will be the GOP primary on the 5th of March. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back momentarily. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You are listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Just a reminder, coming up in the next couple of segments, we'll hear a Billy Graham New Year special. That'll be followed by the Portland edition with additional headlines. So stick around. Um, some good edifying information from the Billy Graham Association. Well, just before the break, I was talking about author and activist Kenny Zhu, who's hoping to take his fight for a colorblind society to U.S. Congress. He's the founder of the Color Us United. Uh, Zhu helped lead the affirmative action cases in the Supreme Court that they ruled on in June. Well, now the Republican is running for Congress in North Carolina's 13th district against um, Democrat Representative Wiley Nickel, and his first test will be the GOP primary in March. The slogan is Kenny Zhu for Congress, Republican for a colorblind America, Zhu said. Well, the reason why I use this slogan, Republican for a colorblind America, is because a lot of conservative voters right now want to feel hope. Uh, they feel like the country is divided. They feel like they want to uh, talk to the left. They feel like the left has gotten totally indoctrinated, which it has. And they just want that sense of normalcy again, Zhu said. <clears throat> he went on to say, and a colorblind America speaks to that normalcy <clears throat> excuse me, that we were having in our racial vision for a long time under MLK's ideals, the content of your character, not the color of your skin. Well, Zhu believes that instead of black, white, Asian and other Americans coming together, many people simply want to complain and play the victim card. But he's hoping voters take note and elected someone um, who has battled against diversity, equity and inclusion, affirmative action and CRT for the sure sake of equality. An early iteration of Mickey Mouse has entered the public domain alongside Winnie the Pooh, Sherlock Holmes and Robin Hood, signaling potential legal action by companies like Disney and Warner Brothers and a swath of new creations based on the iconic characters. Well, technology executive and AI expert Marva Baylor said that Mickey and other characters such as King Kong and Frankenstein are now open creative uh, elements that can be legally utilized or referenced without the permission of the original IP owner. Using marketing, creative and social media tools like TikTok and AI, the average content creator or new media professional can now monetize these entertainment symbols. One such instance of public domain characters being used for non-traditional entertainment endeavors came in February of last year when the film Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey was released. And while the film received overwhelmingly abysmal reviews, it was a financial success. Grossing $5.2 million worldwide, the film uh, was made for only $100,000, meaning it grossed over 50 times its production budget. The average big blockbuster typically only makes about two to four times its production budget. Well, on the 1st of January, the day after Disney's copyright for the earliest version of Mickey Mouse expired in the United States, the trailer for a horror film featuring a masked murderer dressed as the iconic children's character, was released. The Hollywood Reporter revealed that other classic characters entering the public domain will also receive the slasher treatment, including Peter Pan's Neverland Nightmare and Bambi The Reckoning. Well, these beloved children's characters, or should I say once beloved children's characters, can take on new personalities that are opposite to the brand with no legal ramifications. Today, we see a trend of personalities and brands planning for the next 50 years with the use of digital technologies to manage their legacy for 
eternity, end quote. Well, companies like Disney need to focus on creating new intellectual property to mitigate these uh, the lost profits adequately. It's a testament to the staying power of these companies that these characters are still making money for them so long into the future. But if they want to build and grow, they have to make something new. And the companies have made something new even as they exploit their old franchises. Well, the characters of Pluto, Donald Duck, Superman, J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit, and James Bond will also become public domain within the next decade. A federal judge in New York unsealed the identities. Well, I've already talked about that. I'm not going to go into it again. But two explosions near Iranian military commander Qassam Soleimani's uh, tomb killed at least 103 people. And ISIS has now claimed responsibility for those um, events, shifting the attention away from Israel and other Western countries. The U.S. doubled down on its assessment that Hamas and other Gaza militants used the enclave's largest hospital complex as a compound hub, as well as to hold hostages and store weapons uh, with a senior intelligence official pointing to newly declassified documents making that very point. It reinforces the conclusions of Israeli and U.S. intelligence. But the U.S. intelligence community did not release any new evidence to support its assessment after questions were raised about to what extent the Al-Shifa hospital was indeed the beating heart of the Hamas operations. As Israel had uh, claimed, uh, according to CNN, the U.S. believes that Hamas members evacuated days before Israel raided the complex on the 15th and that they destroyed sensitive documents and electronics before Israeli troops entered the facility. Uh, U.S. officials had previously pointed to classified intelligence obtained independently from the Israelis to offer support for Israel's raid. Gaza's hospitals have played a central role in the dueling narratives surrounding the war that Hamas-run health ministries say has killed 22,100 people, though it does not differentiate between civilian combatants and uh, civilians, I should say, and um, combatants. So that that number has been called into Some question. Well, coming up uh, later in the program, we're going to hear from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association as they're offering a year in special to look back as well as to look forward uh, to what we can expect in this this coming year. So I hope you'll stay tuned for that. That will straddle uh, the end of this first hour and into the first two segments of the next hour. We'll continue in Portland with um, some headlines and in Seattle, uh, we will uh, sign off. And hope you'll join us tomorrow as we take a look at some of the lighter side of the news. That's coming up in the next several segments here of the Georgine Rice Show. We've been covering much of the news as it's developed here in the uh, uh, in the Portland, uh, I should say, in the uh, in the country after the start of the new year, and we're anticipating um, a pretty raucous election season. That said, um, with the Republican caucuses coming up in less than two weeks. It's going to be an interesting uh, contest. It doesn't necessarily determine who will win the nomination, but it will be at least the start of a very raucous political season. And the president began his political campaign earlier this week, and that will culminate to not culminate, but it will continue tomorrow with a major speech in which he will focus on white supremacy and Donald Trump rather than his own record. So it is it has begun and they've hit the ground. Well, running, but not very fast. Well, in other news, China and India scored moon landings while Russia, Japan and Israel ended up in the lunar trash heap. Now, two private companies are hustling to get the U.S. back in the game 
more than five decades after the Apollo program ended. And part of a NASA-supported effort to kickstart commercial moon deliveries as the space agency focuses on getting astronauts back there. Well, there's um, there's scouts going to the moon ahead of us, the NASA administration says, trying to soften the blow somewhat. Pittsburgh's uh, astrobotic technology is up first with a planned liftoff of a lander on Monday aboard a brand new rocket, United Launch Alliance's Vulcan. Houston's initiative machines aims to launch a lander in mid-February, hoping a flight will uh, with SpaceX, which has been uh, doing some test flying of late. Then there's Japan, which will attempt to land in two weeks. The Japanese space agency's lander with two toy-sized rovers had a big head start, sharing a September launch with an X-ray telescope that stayed behind in orbit around the Earth. If successful, Japan will become the fifth country to pull off a lunar landing Russia and the U.S. did repeatedly in the 1960s and 70s. China has launched three times in the past decade, including on the moon's far side, and is returning to the um, far side at some point in the uh, in the near future, returning um, later this year to bring back lunar samples. And just last summer, India did it as well. Only the U.S. has put astronauts on the moon, however. Landing without uh, wrecking is no easy feat. There's hardly an atmosphere to slow spacecraft, and parachutes obviously won't work. That means a lander has to descend using thrusters while navigating past treacherous cliffs and craters on the surface of the planet. A Japanese millionaire's company, Is Space, saw its lander smash into the moon last April, followed by Russia's cla- uh, crash landing in August. India triumphed a few days later near the South Polar region, it was the country's second try after crashing in 2019. An Israeli nonprofit also slammed into the moon in 2019. The United States hasn't attempted a moon landing since Apollo 17's Gene Cernan and Harrison Schmidt. The last of 12 moonwalkers explored the, uh, the gray, dusty surface in December of 1972. Mars beckoned and the moon received, uh, receded rather in NASA's rearview mirror as the space race between the U.S. and the Soviet Union came to a close. Well, the U.S. followed with a handful or two of lunar satellites, but no lunar satellites rather, but no controlled landings until now. Not only is Astrobotic and Initiative Machines looking to end America's moon landing drought, they're vying for bragging rights as the first private entity to land gently on the moon. Could be a big story this or in the coming years. Once again, coming up, we'll hear from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association on the new year. Looking back, looking ahead, and finding encouragement in what really matters. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, the Portland edition. Well, the U.S. and Western countries issued a threat to the Houthi terror group. The U.S. and key allies issued what officials described as a final warning to the Houthi Yemeni rebel group on Wednesday to cease its attacks on international shipping in the Red Sea or bear the consequences. Ongoing Houthi attacks in the Red Sea are illegal, unacceptable, and profoundly destabilizing, the statement said. It was issued by more than a dozen nations. The Houthis will bear the responsibility of the consequences should they continue to threaten lives, the global economy, and free flow of commerce in the region's critical waterways. End quote. Well, the U.S. military has prepared options to strike the Iran-backed rebel group, U.S. officials say. President Biden has said he wants to avoid direct military attacks on the group to avoid escalating a Middle East conflict. 
The Pentagon last week said it sank three Houthi boats in the Red Sea after gunmen fired on American helicopters responding to an attack on another commercial ship. By the way, on Wednesday, when the ultimatum was given, later in the day or the next morning, there was another attack. No response. The Biden administration is attempting to flip the blame for the migrant crisis at the southern border onto Republicans. In anticipation of Speaker Mike Johnson heading to the U.S. southern border on Wednesday, the White House issued a statement accusing House Republicans of ducking the chance to address the issue they've been attacking. Actions speak louder than words, the White House spokesperson Andrew Bates said in a statement first obtained by Politico ahead of two days of Republican border visits that began yesterday. House Republicans' anti-border security record is defined by attempting to cut customs and border protection personnel, opposing President Biden's record-breaking border security funding and refusing to take up the president's supplemental funding request, end quote. Well, the Republicans have been critical of the president's handling of the southern border, you probably well know, since the beginning of his term, often saying he's downplayed, neglected or worsened in historic migrant influx through Mexico. Ed O'Keefe points out that Speaker Johnson responded with spokesperson Raj Shah calling POTUS, the president, derelict in his duties to protect our border from the day he was sworn into office. And the back and forth will continue. Academics and activists teamed up to create a guide to teaching critical race theory to young children, arguing that kids exhibit racial bias from a young age, as young as three years old. Titled Reflections on Children's Racial Learning, the guide was created by a leftist organization called Embrace Race and shares strategies to effectively inculcate liberal beliefs on race among young children. It was written in part by professors at prominent universities such as the University of North Carolina and Wake Forest University who urge parents to have courageous conversations about race with their toddlers. There is a growing uh, body of research and evidence that makes clear that children's racial sensibilities began to form in infancy, says Embrace Race, that almost all children develop racial and other biases by kindergarten and that those biases become fairly entrenched by adolescence. So parents, they're going to have to wrest them from your authority and direction in order to teach them the way that they should go. Former President Trump gained the endorsement of the top five Republican leaders in the House. Fewer than two weeks until the Iowa caucuses, the former president has locked up endorsements from the top five Republicans in the U.S. House, even those he's previously worked against. On Wednesday morning, House GOP whip Tom Emmer He threw his support behind the former president, joining the rest of the House's Republican leadership slate and endorsing the 45th president. The top five R's in the House GOP leadership have now endorsed the former president. Emmer, the majority whip, endorsed the uh, uh, president, uh, the former president, a day after Scalise. President Trump has appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn the decision barring him from the Colorado ballot. The Wall Street Journal reports that the former president asked the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn the decision by Colorado's highest court, removing him from the state's 2024 presidential primary ballot because of his actions surrounding the January 6th riot, as they put it, at the U.S. Capitol, according to a statement from the Trump campaign. Colorado's Supreme Court halted its ruling from taking effect until the 4th of January. Today is the 5th of January to give the former president and current Republican frontrunner an opportunity to appeal. The Colorado Republican Party earlier asked the Supreme Court to reverse the ruling. The high court is widely expected to agree to hear Trump's appeal to provide clarity on his eligibility. 
which has divided state judges and officials. Similar cases have been brought in states, including Michigan and Minnesota, but most have been unsuccessful in removing the former president's name from any state's ballot. However, just before the new year, Maine became the second state to disqualify the former president from the state's Republican primary ballot. Trump appealed that ruling to state court on Tuesday, and the case could similarly reach the Supreme Court within weeks. Several state capitals were evacuated amid a bomb threat, or actually a series of them. Multiple state capitals received the threats on Wednesday morning that led to brief evacuations or lockdowns as police investigated, but no evidence of explosives was found. The warnings came after a spate of false reports of shootings at the, ha- the homes rather, of public officials in recent days. Connecticut, Georgia, Kentucky, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, and Montana were among the states that evacuated state house offices and buildings. Lawmakers in Kentucky and Mississippi have begun meeting in legislative sessions. It's unclear why the emails targeted the states. I've mentioned a mix of red and blue swing states. The uh, threats come amid an increase in attacks threatened and real on public officials, including a spate of swatting incidents, as they're called, recently that target politicians from both sides of the aisle. Nate Jackson wrote back in 2020, deregulation has been one of President Donald Trump's best calling cards over the last three plus years, especially given how much he has done to undo the work of his predecessor, end quote. Well, as Trump pointed out at the time, for every one new regulation added, nearly eight federal regulations have been terminated. This is good for business, of course, but it's also good for liberty writ large. Well, unfortunately, under the current administration, it doesn't seem to have gotten the memo. As the Washington Examiner reports, federal agencies under White House control issue the most regulations for every law passed in nearly three decades. The latest sign that the president's team is using red tape to force its agenda on the country, end quote. And it gets worse as the examiner continues. For every law passed by Congress and signed by President Joe Biden, agencies issued 46 regulations. For every law passed, agencies issued 46 regulations, the highest percentage since 1995. And even worse, according to a report by Lafayette University professor Mark Crane, the U.S. ranks 16th globally in terms of regulation. As for the financial cost of overregulation, Crane has run the numbers. He says reducing the regulatory burden would increase U.S. GDP by approximately 8%, which amounts to about $2 trillion per year, or $15,000 per American household. Ouch. President Trump's bold border promise has been made in a Des Moines Register op-ed yesterday. The former president, Donald Trump, begins by saying, the most urgent task facing the next president is to end Joe Biden's nation-wrecking nightmare on the southern border. We can di- who can disagree? He then recounts his border successes and compares them to Biden's manifold border failures, which we've covered extensively and which we recently noted was the worst story of the year just passed. Trump doesn't mention his first term failures to build the wall and have Mexico pay for it, but he lays out an aggressive and detailed plan that includes a record-setting deportation operation this time around, and public sentiment being much more attuned to border security than it was seven years ago. A second-term Trump should have more favorable headwinds. We do not have time for on-the-job training, Trump writes. Unlike every other candidate, with me, there is no question. I promise you that I will get this job done, end quote. The question is whether or not he'll be given a chance to 
do just that. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break, but we will return in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, for President, uh, former President Trump added two big GOP endorsements, aside from the uh, ones I mentioned a few moments ago. If runaway polling and early endorsements are a sign of political inevitability, Donald Trump should be feeling pretty good these days. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise and Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton, they announced their endorsements for the former president this week, and they come as Trump's rivals. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley are struggling to remain relevant. When Donald Trump was president, Scalise said, American workers and families were thriving. As Cotton put it, when Donald Trump was president, America was safe, strong and prosperous. With Joe Biden as president, everything has gone to, well, heck. Families can afford groceries. Our border is wide open to a full-blown invasion, and our enemies are starting wars everywhere, end quote. Well, as for the state of the race, real clear politics has Trump leading DeSantis by 33 points in Iowa and Haley by 22 in New Hampshire. Nationally, he leads both challengers by a whopping 52 points. With Democrat mayors uh, from the sanctuary cities of Chicago and New York calling on Texas Governor Greg Abbott to end his migrant busing crusade, The Republican responded by doubling down. In a post on X, Abbott stated, and I quote, Texas has transported over 95,000 migrants to sanctuary cities. Sanctuary cities like New York City and Chicago have have seen only a fraction of what overwhelmed uh, Texas border towns face daily. We will continue our transportation mission until Biden reverses course on his open border policies, end quote. Well, speaking of important numbers, in fiscal year 23 alone, U.S. Border Patrol encountered 2.4 million illegal border crossers. Democrat mayors need to take that, take their complaint to Joe Biden and not Abbott, who's been seeking to do everything he can in his power to stop the flow of illegal immigrants across Texas' southern border. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is trying to prevent Abbott from addressing the problem as the Justice Department filed an emergency motion with the U.S. Supreme Court to force the removal of razor wire on the southern border that Texas has set up. Abbott responded, see you in court. The National Association of Letter Carriers, the union that represents some 300,000 union postal workers, has endorsed Joe Biden for president, according to the NALC president, Frederick Rolando. The reason had to do with Donald Trump's criticism of public sector unions, whereas Biden is, was, and will continue to be a fierce ally and defender of the United States Postal Service, end quote. Biden's reelection is also essential for the survival of the USPS. It comes as little surprise that the NALC would throw its weight behind Biden, but it's notable because of the Democrats' promotion of mail-in voting. Trump has rightly criticized and opposed mail-in voting because it is ripe for fraud. Democrats and left media pundits have disingenuously sought to deny this reality and have spun any criticism of mail-in voting as an effort to suppress voting rights. Meanwhile, President Biden kicked off his campaign with a J6 speech on the threat of white supremacy and Donald Trump. Very little about himself, but about others. Trump has appealed the Colorado ballot removal decision to the U.S. Supreme Court and appealed the Maine Secretary of State's uh, move to bar him from the ballot there. The GOP put immigration front and center with a border visit and a new push to impeach Mayorkas. Meanwhile, Mayorkas called out Texas for a failure of governance amid the illegal immigrant crisis and impeachment. Cartels make $32 million a week off migrants in one stretch of the Texas border. 
That's one stretch of the Texas border, not to mention the other areas where they are pouring in. And a leftist judge struck a blow to election integrity in Wisconsin with a ballot curing decision. A male murderer has been sent to a women's prison and Florida's Surgeon General declared COVID jabs are not appropriate for any human beings over DNA fragment concerns. You can read more about that at The Federalist. DNA fragment concerns. Well, on this day in history, 1896, Utah is admitted as the 45th state. 1904, the U.S. Supreme Court in Gonzalez versus Williams rules that Puerto Ricans are not illegal immigrants and can enter the United States freely. However, the court stopped short of declaring them citizens. Puerto Ricans would receive U.S. citizenship in March of 1917. 1935, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt in his State of the Union address, which, by the way, is coming up here shortly with President Biden, calls for legislation to provide assistance for the jobless, elderly, impoverished children and the handicapped. 1943, Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin, he makes the cover of Time magazine as the 1942 Man of the Year. 1951, during the Korean War, North Korean and Communist Chinese forces recapture the city of Seoul. 1964, Pope Paul VI, he begins a visit to the Holy Land, the first papal pilgrimage, rather, of its kind. 1965, President Lyndon B. Johnson, he delivers his State of the Union address, in which he outlined the goals of his great society. 1974, President Richard Nixon refuses to hand over tape recordings and documents subpoenaed by the Senate Watergate Committee. 1995, the 104th Congress convenes, the first entirely under Republican control since the Eisenhower era. 2002, Sergeant uh, First Class Nathan Ross Chapman, a U.S. Army Special Forces soldier, rather, is killed by small arms fire during an ambush in eastern Afghanistan. He is the first American military death from enemy fire in the war against terrorism. 2002. 2006, U.S. Supreme Court agrees that Joseph Padilla, held for three and a half years as an enemy combatant, can be transferred to civilian authorities in Miami. 2009, New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson announces he is withdrawing his nomination to be president-elect Barack Obama's Commerce Secretary amid a grand jury investigation into how some of his political donors had won a lucrative state contract. Prosecutors later would decline to bring charges against Richardson. 2009, a female suicide bomber strikes Shiite pilgrims in Baghdad, killing 38. On this day in history, 2018, the Trump administration moves to vastly expand, expand rather, offshore drilling from the Atlantic to the Arctic Oceans with a five-year plan that would open up federal waterways off the California, off of California for the first time in decades and possibly open new areas of oil and gas exploration along the East Coast. And finally, on this day in history, 2018, the Dow Jones Industrial Average bursts through the 25,000 mark, closing at 25,075.13, just five weeks after its first close above 24,000. Well, there's much going on in this new year of ours, and I hope that you, along with so many others, are turning your hearts toward, uh, uh, toward faith, uh, toward seeking direction and what God has in mind for each of us to do as we face uh, what could be a very challenging year. And I'm looking forward to seeing what the days have, have to offer. 
But I'm also a bit uh, apprehensive about those days as well. So we'll just prayerfully uh, spend time bending the knee, reflecting on what God's word says and what we are to do in response. With that in mind, keep in mind the Iowa school shooting victims that uh, that shooting taking place earlier in the day in which one six year old or rather one sixth grader, I should say, uh, was shot dead and five others injured. All are expected to survive with the exception of that one sixth grade uh, child. Well, we are out of time. I do want to thank James Blend for producing, Dave King for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Join us tomorrow as we take a look at the lighter side of the news and the week in review and share this week's Christian outlook. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.